0: So Money, episode 949, Paul Olinger, stand-up comedian and host of the podcast, Crazy Money.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You go deep on who you are. And I, every morning I'm sitting there writing in a journal trying to figure out how do I bring more of me to the stage? You know, Gary Shandling in this in his journals, he kept the, – uh, there was this HBO special that Judd Apatow produced around – uh, the, the Gary, Sh- Gary Shandling's diaries. And one of the things that Gary wrote in there over and over was like, be more Gary, bring more of you to the stage, mm-hmm. the more vulnerable, the more open and the more uh, you can tell your story, the more you're going to succeed and stand out from everybody else trying to talk about the topic du jour.
0: That's our guest, Paul Ollinger talking about how to differentiate yourself in the competitive world of stand up comedy, but really any profession, right? Being your true authentic self, digging into that, being honest, putting yourself out there, it's a true recipe for success. It's so money. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today, as you heard, is Paul Olinger, who is one of my new favorite people. I've recently connected with Paul. He is a Facebook executive turned comedian who is out there tackling topics like money and business with a really great sense of humor. He has always been drawn to comedy. He took the safer path, however, earlier in his career. He... Got an MBA. He worked for companies like Yahoo and he worked at Facebook. But he finally decided to follow his passion and leap into comedy. And he's been doing that ever since. And and he got a relatively later start at that, starting at age 45. And he's been quite successful. He's got a podcast called Crazy Money. He's got a book called You Should Totally Get an MBA. And he's been touring the country doing stand up. Paul and I talk about the economics of stand up comedy, how to make money in the business, the importance of financial runway when you're pursuing your passion, and the power in controlling your content, whatever kind of content creator you are, but the importance of being in control and how to get there. Here is Paul Ollinger. Paul Ollinger, welcome to So Money, the host of Crazy Money on So Money. This is a, a nice meeting of minds.
1: Great to meet you, Farnoosh.
0: I'm obsessed with your career path. I kind of joked that I want to be Paul when I grow up. Um, I mentioned before we came on the recording line that I took my first comedy workshop last summer and had the courage to finally check that off my bucket list. But I, I really love stand-up comedy and you have done something quite heroic, which is departed from the traditional business world where you were working at places like Facebook and Yahoo, you have an MBA from Dartmouth, and went all in on stand-up comedy and were and are very successful at it. So for all of us listening thinking about pursuing a passion but maybe you know we've got student loans which you did or we have the the benefits of working for a company how do we do it how did you do it how what was that day like when you're like that's it i'm quitting the corporate life or was it was it a pro- process or was it just actually a moment
1: it was it was kind of a process i took the first time i did stand up comedy was during my first semester at business school. You know, I went to Dartmouth to, uh, to talk at Dartmouth to, to to try to get a better job to make more money. And then one night at a talent show, I told jokes in front of friends and said, oh, this is what I want to do. And you don't want to spend $150,000 getting an MBA to find out that you want to be a stand-up comedian. That's not the outcome <laughs> you're looking for when you go to business school. So I had the bug in me, but I also had $80,000 in loans in 1997. And there was no chasing the dream. Then I knew I was, it's like, I got to get to work and I got to pay back this, this money. But eventually working at places like launch.com, then Yahoo, I saved some money and I was able to pay them back. And I was still single in 2005. So uh, not married. I was dating my now wife, but, but I was, uh, I, I, that was the point that I went out to LA and I, I, I went after comedy full time for two years but then when I got engaged to my wife, I thought, well, I'm not ready to be the guy who lives off his wife and let her pay the bills while I chase this dream. So I went back to work and I took a job at a small company called Facebook.
0: Huh. And then you, I heard you said you won the Facebook lottery. What, is, what does that mean?
1: Well, I was one of the, I was one of the first 250 employees at Facebook. And as part of my comp plan, I got uh stock options that ended up being worth uh, a tidy sum of cash. And so uh, after I left the company and paid off, not just all my student loans, but my house and uh, my retirement, I was in a position where I said, OK, now I can chase the comedy dream and do it for real and go all in. And and uh, I fully committed back to comedy five years ago. Hmm.
0: Man, having financial runway is is very helpful. And you hear this over and over again, you know, people living in their cars or that the struggle is real when you're pursuing your passion. And I feel like that's... Those are the stories that we hear that glamorize or rather not really glamorize, but they sort of glorify, right? The process of becoming an, a quote unquote artist or someone who's pursuing their passion. But what I feel like your story is very, in some ways, yes, um, inspirational, but, but practical. Like you didn't, you didn't, (laughs) you know, you didn't live in your car. You didn't just sell everything and you were very thoughtful about it. And frankly, you know, having savings was a great, catalyst.
1: Yeah. Farnish. I don't have the discipline to be poor. I mean, I don't have the strength. I don't, I don't have the strength to struggle. I really don't. I mean, you know, and yes, in some ways it's heroic that I walked away from a lot of money. Uh, and there still was a lot of money on the table at Facebook to, to pursue what I wanted to do, but really, you know, if I Sometimes I wonder, well, if I had less of a, a cushion, would I be hungry or would I be getting after things a little bit more? I probably would be, but more likely I'd still be working. I'd be out there chasing uh, the next level of affluence, the next level of security. Um, and so uh, I'm just doing the best I can with the situation that I arrived at and who knows what would have happened if things worked out a different way.
0: But in some ways, aren't you grateful for your path in that? Um, yes, you got an MBA and it was close to six figures to afford that, but it has also become, it, it, you know, it's so much a part of the fabric of your story, you know, and you've got a book out called, um, you should totally get an MBA, not, <laughs> but you know, it, it all fed your material to some extent. And of course the greatest stand-up comics pull from their lives and they have, you know, they tell the real stories of what they've experienced. And so maybe, it was all for everything.
1: Yeah, I'm extraordinarily grateful for my path and I think it's been it's been a tremendous adventure. The hardest part of my path, I think, was actually when I didn't actually leave Facebook to go right into comedy. I left Facebook without a plan. And the the biggest learning years I had were those few years after I left Facebook where I learned that just having a certain amount of money doesn't solve all your problems. It doesn't make you a happy person. And that work really is something we all need in our lives however we defined it, we need a challenge, we need something to go after. And reinventing myself as a comedian at 45 years old, or however old I was when I started it back again, has been that struggle for me, reinventing your identity uh, at the lowest levels of a profession after you've had some pretty good success in mm. other in other categories, really opens your eyes to um, ca- kind of to, to, to where you were as a younger person.
0: You have to treat it like any other business, right? Even though it's comedy, it's really what you've built is a brand and a business. You have a podcast, you you have a, a big audience. I mean, and again, starting from the age that you did versus others who may have started in their teens. And yes. I think that you went about it quite um, strategically. What was part of the strategy? Because in hindsight, maybe there was a real strategy here.
1: The strategy is as it, it continues to evolve, but you know, If you want to succeed in the entertainment world, in the content creation world, you have to be really clear about who you are and what what you have to offer of value to the world, because there really is almost infinite choice from a podcasting standpoint, from a YouTube video, uh, content, uh, from a YouTube video standpoint and from a, you know, who, which comedian is that club owner going to put on stage perspective because anybody can go out there and tell jokes about the internet can tell jokes about airplane food or whatever. And the only way to stand out is to tell your story. And my unique story besides, you know, being a married middle-aged guy is this journey I've had in my career. And so the more I can bring that to the table, the more I'm going to be able to stand out among, uh, otherwise indistinguishable comedians. Funny is good. The, one of the biggest club bookers in New York City told me, hey, he goes, you know what? You're funny. You're good. You know you're good. But guess what? Being funny isn't enough. You have to stand out in other ways.
0: Mm. How do you do that?
1: You go deep on who you are. Mm-hmm. And I every morning I'm sitting there writing in a journal trying to figure out how do I bring more of me to the stage? You know, Gary Shandling in this in his journals, he kept that uh, there was this HBO special that Judd Apatow produced around, uh, the, the Gary, Sh- Gary Shandling's diaries. And one of the things that Gary wrote in there over and over was like, be more Gary, bring more of you to the stage. Mm-hmm. The more vulnerable, the more open and the more, uh, you can tell your story, the more you're going to succeed and stand out from everybody else trying to talk about the topic du jour.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. This is, I'm taking notes. So even journaling is something that, uh, you kind of said it like it's a given, but a lot of people don't do that, you know? And I think that's a great practice, whether you're trying to become a comedian or just trying to get closer to, you know, your story in whatever medium you're telling it.
1: You know, I, I looked at what, and I, I should be doing more journaling. I, I started meditating about a year and a half ago. Those two things have been very, very useful to me. Uh, I'm not doing them every day. It's kind of like exercise, you know, some days you, you get, you know, five days in a week, some days you get two days in a week, but the more you can really try to incorporate it into your day to day life, the more, the easier it gets, the benefits you see more of and, um, uh, it, the more powerful the, the the habit becomes.
0: Where's the money in comedy? Tell me that because <laughs> I'll tell you how the economics Fun-ish. works.
1: I wish I knew. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find it. It's hidden. <laughs> it's concentrated in a very few hands. Um, you know, to, to, to di- this date in history, comedy has created about 36 millionaires and, um, three of those were comedians. Um, actually, um, uh, that was a joke. The money is concentrated. <laughs> oh, okay. It's if, if, you, if you take a look at how the way money is spread throughout society, the curve is actually incredibly smooth at the top end. But if you look at comedy, it's even more weighted toward the toward the one percent. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, depending upon how you judge it, there's thousands of comedians out there in the world. And there's probably, oh, I don't know, a few hundred that are making a living doing it. Like legitimately making a living at it.
0: Well, I think – I don't know who reported this, but apparently it's one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing aspect of entertainment right now. I mean, just look at Netflix, right? How many comedy specials mm -hmm. are on Netflix right now, if that's any gauge of how at least in demand it is? And I would say that these days, if we're not – Laughing, we're crying because, especially, <laughs> the medium that you talk about. I mean, you're you're talking about money and business and corporate culture, and I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff going on. Um, but you've able to find you've been able to find the the humor in it. Um, your podcast is dedicated to this. It's called uh, Crazy Money. What's your, what's your favorite interview so far?
1: Every every new every week, I have a favorite interview because uh, I've been very very fortunate to get just tremendous guests right from the get go. Uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky was my second guest. My first guest was Jessica Ma, who is a 28 year old entrepreneur who who uh, co founded a accounting firm called Indanero, and she's been highly highly successful. I've interviewed. Adam Carolla, Richard Reeves from the Brookings Institution, Samantha Berry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour. So a really nice cross-section of people with great insights into into different parts of the corporate world. But probably my favorite interview was uh, interviewing my 92-year-old father about Mm -hmm. what it was like to raise my five siblings and me on a relatively modest paycheck.
0: Well, let's go back in time. That's a great transition. I like to ask guests often on the show about their financial experiences growing up. And so what did you maybe learn for the first time when you interviewed your dad about the realities of raising five kids back in the day? And how do you think that that has shaped you in some ways, maybe a financial lesson or ritual that your family had that really impacted you?
1: Well, I think the the circumstance that that we had growing up was uh, two two committed, dedicated parents in a loving home with six kids, and so uh, you divide anything by six and it gets a little bit smaller. So uh, you, you know, resources we had everything we need, but but everything was always just slightly below what you would exactly you know what you would want. Um, The dinner table was crowded and loving and funny most of the time. But if you wanted the last slice of pizza, you had to fight through a gauntlet of elbows (laughs) and headbutts. Right. Um, So I always felt a little bit of financial stress growing up from my parents who seemed as if, you know, they didn't have quite enough to get all the six of us what they needed. But indeed my father contended in this interview, he said that he never stressed about money, that he always believed that the Lord would provide and that he is, he's also one of the most modest and least materialistic people I've ever met. And so for everything we didn't have, he just thought, well, that's a bunch of crap. We don't need it anyway. Why are you stressing about it? Uh, so, so, I don't know how much of my narrative that I've created is revisionist history or how much of his narrative is revisionist history. All I know is that financial pressure birthed in me a desire to succeed financially, significant professional ambition. And I thought when I make some money, I'm finally going to not have to stress about it. Well, that's hilarious because no matter how much money you have, pretty much everybody stresses about money. And these are some of the things I wanted to explore on the podcast.
0: Yeah, a, a comedy teacher once told me that the best way to identify a good joke is to find the irony in a mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Um irony equals funny. And so when you're coming up with material or when you're just making, finding the, the funny in the moment, um, when it comes to money and it comes to business, um, what, what have you recently been finding quite ironic or funny or, you know, like interesting to point out because there's so much material right now that's just sitting there.
1: Constantly. Well, you know? yeah, I, uh, I, I've heard a similar definition that humor is the existence of, uh, or the recognition of incongruity. And so uh, wherever I see people saying one thing and doing another, for example, people really, really complaining about data privacy and things like that, and then, you know, plugging their phone into random USB ports in Ubers (laughs) or on airplanes, these things really, I I see the humor there. Uh, One of the contradictions around money is that I always grew up believing that someday I'd make money and wouldn't everybody be impressed. And now that I've made, you know, some serious dough, I thought, well, my kids love the way they grow up. Well, when you, when your kids live in a nice neighborhood, their friends have money too. And my son came home from one of his really rich friend's house not long ago and said, Hey dad, when are we going to hire a chef? And I was just like, Oh, okay. There's no limit. There's always somebody with more. And I've built a bit of a routine around that, that statement of his.
0: Well, speaking of like hacks and stuff, I just found something on Instagram today, which is not a great place to find funny money stuff. But someone wrote, hackers need to step their game up and delete everyone's loans, bad credit, and mortgages. Wouldn't that be a great day?
1: <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah.
0: Um, what would you say was your greatest money failure? We um, you know maybe your success was... Well, falling into Facebook, uh, cashing out, or, or maybe there was something even cooler, but um, would love to talk about failure because also that's such a big part of success in comedy is really knowing um, how, what it feels like to bomb. But in your personal financial life, what was a, a lesson learned, a hard lesson learned?
1: Well, I'm still making mistakes all the time. Um, you know, and, and, at every level of my financial progression, I, as I look back, I see things that I did wrong you don't know necessarily that they're mistakes while you're making them. Otherwise you wouldn't make them. The first, the, the first big financial mistake I made when I was in my twenties was going deep into debt. Um, and the numbers, you know, it, I was five or $6,000 in credit card debt that I was carrying. And that doesn't sound like a ton of money, but I was probably making $28,000 at the time. And that's a very meaningful part of that kind of take-home income. That The the angst of that experience uh, wrote itself on my brain clearly so that in the future, when I was uh, in debt, I was, I was doing everything I could to get out of debt. What mistakes did I make then? I probably sold some stock a little bit earlier than I showed up to try to pay down my debt. I don't regret any of it, but in hindsight, I was really laser focused on getting out of debt. Even recently, I've made some some relatively careless investments in, uh, angel investments and in startup companies that as I look back on it, I say, well, boy, I, I, I should have been more methodical about it. I should have put more thought into it or, or really just not done it at all. Uh, so I think sometimes at all different levels you, you can make mistakes that, um, that don't feel like mistakes when you're doing them. Fortunately, I've never had a gambling problem, but angel <laughs> investing can be every bit as expensive as a trip to Vegas, and you don't have any pictures after Yeah, afterwards.
0: or crypto. Okay, what's your what what what's your take on crypto?
1: I don't understand it, and I don't I, I don't mess yeah. with it. You know, yeah. I mean, I know what's guys who. What's the take? Have, <laughs> well, I you know I think There's it's no really take. <laughs> well. I think I mean I think it's fascinating from sort of a you know long term uh, global currency perspective. Um, and that book about, um, uh, the dark website, uh, Nick, Dent, not, uh, anyway, I, I, the book about the Silk Road, the, the, the dark website where people could buy and sell drugs. That was fascinating, dangerous, but fascinating, but I don't understand it as an investment vehicle. And I just, uh, I'm going to sit on the sidelines until it makes more sense to me.
0: This is a question that comes from our uh, friendly sponsor, Chase. Uh, we want to ask guests this month, what is something that you do in your daily life, or maybe it's not as frequent, but something that you do consciously that helps you build financial security? Is there an even an app that you like to use? Give us a tip.
1: My favorite new app is called Greenlight, and it's an Atlanta. I live in Atlanta. It's an Atlanta based startup. I'm not an investor, but I have some friends that work there and it's a debit card for kids. Hmm. And, it has been a great tool for for my kids and me to discuss, uh, to implement their allowance, to track their spending, saving, and giving, and for them to see every week how interest adds to their overall balances. So it's been a great uh, it's been a great tool for uh, to to facilitate conversations around money with my children.
0: And so, what's it like being a dad and a and and living? Pursuing your career as, in comedy—do um, they ask you about it? Do they think it's cool?
1: <laughs> uh, they, you know, I think they've they've had a good time. Recording some introductions to the podcast with mm-hmm. me. They've never seen me do comedy They think I guess they think it's kind of cool what's good about it is that my time is is flexible when I'm not on the road and so I Generally wake them up uh, and make them breakfast every morning and I have the opportunity to be around during the day And I'm when I'm working. They're generally asleep. So I'm not missing out on uh, On a lot of their wake time. Um, although dad's a little tired sometimes when they wake up in the morning.
0: Yeah well you know Jim Gaffigan takes his family on the road so there's always that possibility right He <laughs> takes
1: Yeah well I <laughs> I look forward to the point where I can have a couple of buses to drive my family yeah. around my summer tour.
0: Well, there was an interesting article in Forbes and I think you uh, commented on it about Jim Gaffigan. He's one of the top comedians, paid comedians. And part of what has built his fortune is as Forbes points out is betting on himself, ditching Netflix and some of these more quote unquote traditional, more popular ways to get exposure and get specials. As we talked about earlier, so many people doing Netflix specials Um what do you think of that? What do you think of the business model around um, content creation? We kind of talked about this earlier, but I guess the, uh, from what I can, from what I sense is that the more in control you are, the better. But to some extent, you can only get to this point once you've. It's it's hard, right? Like, you, is it easy to just start out, like Jim? You got Jim can do Jim because he's <laughs> you know he's he's Jim. He's Jim Gaffigan. People will go to his shows. They don't need a third party to 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 create it for them to create the experience.
1: Well, well, Gaffigan's been doing this for 30 years, right? Yeah. So he's he's built his brand. People know what Jim Gaffigan stands for and he's damn funny and he's clean and he's so everybody can take their kids out. I listen to, uh, to Gaffigan in the car with my son, my 10-year-old son, because I know that I'm not going to have to have an awkward conversation when he brings something <laughs> up that, you know. Yeah. So, so Gaffigan is family friendly, and he's and he, and he can play arenas, and um, he's in you know he's in one of the he's one of the top ten com- grossing comedians in, in the country certainly maybe maybe in the world right now, but you don't start there you know you, you you build that brand over decades, and what I think what you're kind of the point you're going to is any comedian that can sell tickets can get booked. Right, so so if 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 you go to any town and a and a and a booker or producer knows that you're gonna fill the arena, well, you're a, you're gold, uh, and the way you do that is by owning the relationship with your fans in a way that you can do today that you couldn't have done twenty or thirty years ago. Your your relationship with your fan was predicated on HBO. Uh, giving you a special or on Showtime, giving you a special or or comedy central today, the avenues of connection between consumers and content creators are myriad. Even still, you know, Gaffigan's getting paid presumably tens of millions of dollars from Amazon for this special because they know that when they put it up there, millions of people know the Jim Gaffigan brand and they're going to want to watch it on prime, um, or rent it on, on another one of their, uh, on another outlet.
0: That's right, um, but even he, even Gaffigan in this article says, you know, it's still it's still a gamble in some ways. Um, but he wants to um, reach people through Amazon. But the truth is, he said Amazon's a huge corporation that could probably make more selling socks.
1: <laughs> um, right, but, but but I think it's really really interesting if you think about just it was just like eight or ten years ago that Louis C.K. revolutionized right. how the industry. Distribution- special by putting by producing it himself by by eating the upfront costs taking the risk and then distributing it to his fans at $5 a pop It's like his-
0: self publishing a book on a smaller scale perhaps um if you've got the audience you know it's like when um who was Seth Godin, right? He was sort of a pioneer with um, self-publishing where it was a bit taboo and, you know, self-publishing, good luck with that, you know, um, that probably means your book's not that great. But now there's a lot of um, respect uh, and it's not taboo because the fact is if you've got a million fans because you've got a robust newsletter or people watch you on YouTube or Instagram or wherever, why... You know yeah take take on the upfront cost, but then there's a much bigger payoff potentially,
1: yeah, the brand is Seth Godin. It's not whatever New York City you know publisher right. that the 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 consumer's not looking to oh, he's on Canop, well, Seth's doing well. <laughs> it no, must be a good book that's right, I know they're taking you know,
0: a chance on this, Seth,
1: that's right, yeah so I mean I think that's what's exciting uh, the 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 lack of barriers to entry are both exciting and intimidating because. If you own your audience, then you you have an opportunity to reap all the rewards that you formerly gave to a distributor or to a publisher. If you don't have an audience, you can get you can put your content out there. But then again, there is now an ocean of content through which consumers have to have to wade to find your voice and your message.
0: Paul Ollinger, so much respect for you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing us the truth about how you got started and where you're headed. We really appreciate it and good luck with crazy money and if anyone is interested in pursuing an mba uh, i'm sure you're <laughs> reading through a lot of literature to make that decision but definitely check out you should totally get an mba by paul ollinger thanks so
1: much paul thank you for an it's been a pleasure
0: Thanks so much to Paul for joining us. Listen, if you liked the show, if you liked the podcast, and you haven't already, please subscribe to So Money. And I would love for you to leave a review for us in iTunes. To learn more about Paul, check out his website, paulollinger.com. And you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at paul underscore If you missed any of this, just head over to somoneypodcast.com where you can download the transcript and also listen to the audio. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.